Hey, good morning, everybody. It's Mark Absher. It's time for us to go into our sermon part of worship this morning. And I want to uh, introduce Debbie Cole, who's over here to my right. She is going to be doing the, the signing during the sermon, as she typically does on Sunday mornings. I'm really grateful, Debbie, that you came in today and were able to help us out as we pre-record. Thank you so much. It's a, a fact that people are spending more time at home right now than they ever imagined. A big question on the minds of a lot of people these days is, what do I do with the time that I have on my hands right now? Uh, some are taking advantage of more time with family. It's a picture of Beck and Gemma Bailey there on the banks of the uh, Medina River, and as you can see, doing a really good job of practicing social distancing. Uh, my wife, Ellen, has become kind of my new lawn boy around the house, and she's on administrative leave right now, and she spent part of this week uh, raking up leaves from the giant oak trees in our backyard. Uh, the question for others who are at home right now is, how do I survive this time at home, especially those that are having to work at home? Ran across this picture. I think this probably summarizes a lot of the experiences of people working at home right now who have small children, trying to get work done, but only with one hand while the other hand is taking care of kids. Now, no one can deny that COVID-19 has created a strange world we live in odd times, and we face challenges, and we face difficulties, and we are right in the middle of the teeth right now. Think about work. Work is different, and for most of us, we're working now at home. A travel. Travel not only to far-off places, but even to places like shopping centers, to, to stores, to, to friends' homes, is non-existent. There are simple chores like going to the grocery store that are now done with an app like uh, Instacart or the HEB curbside. A social interaction has become social distancing, which means that we need to literally be out of touch with other people. Uh, the schools where a lot of social interaction happens with our kiddos, it's going to be closed until May 4th here in the state of Texas. Restaurants are shut down. Uh, there is, uh, there's, there's curbside service and there's carryout, but the places where people would go to congregate have now been shut down, like restaurants. Uh, church life is different. Uh, worship is different. We worship from our couch now rather than a pew. And, and preaching is really weird with no audience. And one of the great joys, one of the great blessings of preaching is opening the word up uh, with people that you're in relationship with. And so to not have those people right there, there in the room as you're preaching is a weird experience. And, and mixed with all of this is a lot of disappointment, a lot of sadness, and a lot of grief. And these are the daily reminders that we have been called to withdraw from life as we have known it, at least for part of the time uh, that we have this year. There are certainly negative factors underlying this call to withdraw from normal life. The virus, COVID-19, is highly contagious and it is spread from person to person. The virus is particularly dangerous to certain segments of our population. Withdrawing is a necessary part of the strategy to return to normalcy, whatever that might look like in the future. But temporarily withdrawing has at least one critically important positive component to it from a Christian worldview standpoint, and it's this. Sometimes stepping back precedes stepping forward. Let me say that again. Sometimes stepping back precedes stepping forward. Now, withdrawing does not mean retreating. 
During Jesus' lifetime, he would withdraw from the crowds and the demands that they placed on his life. It was a time for him to step back, to replenish, to spend more focused time with God in order to face what was next, what was right down the road, what it was that would challenge him in his life, in his ministry, and his proclamation of the kingdom of God next. Think about Mark chapter 1. After a busy Sabbath uh, healing a man of, of uh, possession by demons and, and teaching in such a way that, that people were just in awe of it and, and the word of it spread throughout the town and throughout the region and then going later after the, the time in the Sabbath to Peter mother, uh, Peter's house and healing Peter's mother-in-law and then that night after the Sabbath ended at sundown, everybody in that town in Capernaum showed up at his house and he spent the night healing people. And then we read the next morning when the disciples got up, he wasn't among them. They asked where he was, and then they remembered that it was a part of his early regimen to go away, to, to retreat, to, to, uh, to withdraw from the crowds in order to pray. That's Mark chapter 1. In Luke chapter 5 and verse 16, we read, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And that principle of withdrawing, of, of stepping back, he applied to the lives of his disciples. Mark chapter 6 and verse 31, he says to them, come with me by yourselves to this quiet place. That is, withdraw, let's go, let's step away, let's step back for a moment and you can get some rest. Now, here's the thing. The withdrawal caused by the virus from life as we know it can also present to the people of God a moment to step back and to prepare for what's next. This does not mean that we stop ministering, that we stop noticing, that we stop taking care of people in our community, in our city, day to day. When there are ministry opportunities that are presented to us, we, we step right through that door and we meet those challenges. But it does mean that we take advantage of this withdrawal from normal life and its demands to prepare for the return to normal life and its demands in the coming months with whatever our world is going to look like after this time of social distancing and pandemic. It is essential, I think, necessary, that we prepare for what is next as the people who reflect God's presence back into the world. There's an interesting little phrase that Paul uses when he's writing to the church in Ephesus about their life as disciples in the first century and the impact their kind of kingdom life will have on the people around them. And what it is that, uh, that, that Paul writes to that church is found in the fifth chapter in this section about very pragmatic ways of living life as godly people in that culture. He says, be very careful then how you live. We, we need to think about how we live. It needs to be in a wise, uh, Christian, God-driven, kingdom-driven way. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And here's the point, making the most of every opportunity. Some of the other translations put it this way, redeeming the time. Now, how do you make the most of the time that you have knowing what it is that we will be challenged with in the future. The first thing is this. Remember that God is always at work. God is at work doing a million things. More than that, every day in his creation. And if we're not careful, we miss 99% of it. 
Our perspective of the world continually needs to be enlarged to include an ever-present creator who is not just there but isolated but who from his, his place of sovereignty, his, place, uh, his, his throne room is actively involved in his creation. And just because we do not see it does not mean that he is not working. Jesus once healed a person on the Sabbath and received criticism for it as is common in, in our reading of his life and his ministry. And Jesus reminds those people of the nature of God. He says to them in John chapter 5, verse 17, My Father is always at his work to this very day. Which means that there is not a period of time when God is not at work, when he's not active, when he's not connected and engaged with creation. A miracle had happened right before their eyes, and they missed it. Why? It's because they were not looking for God at work in his creation right before their very eyes and in their presence. It is in the nature of God to take something negative and to take something that is destructive and diminishes human beings and through his power turn it into something wonderful and to turn it into something beautiful. So then number two, not only do we remember that God is always at work, but we think more about God then we think about the virus. Think more about God than you think about the virus. The virus is a real thing. We need to be informed. We need to be smart. We need to be cooperative. We need to follow recommendations for health and safety. We need to pray for those civic leaders at every level who are helping us to understand the nature of this pandemic and what we can do in cooperation with them to, to bring this to an end and for it to be contained. But we need to remember that our world revolves around God and not the virus. Our world revolves around God and not the virus. Our lives function so much better when we are near God and God is at the center of our lives. Psalm 73 verse 28 says, The nearness of God, that is my good. You know, this last year, we spent months teaching and developing and practicing the spiritual habits that lead our lives to becoming more like Jesus' life, to imitate him, to, to become more godly, to become more spiritually profound, to develop the kinds of lives that reflect the presence of God. And some of the things that we talked about last year and hopefully have, were implemented and have become habits in our own lives and still to this day are a part of the way that we think about our daily walk with God. Things like prayer and how you pray. And that prayer is not just asking God for stuff, but prayer is a conversation with God. It is a, 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 relation, it is a conversation with a relationship that is more real than the ones that you have around you in the human form. And then there's Scripture. We read scripture, but not just for the facts. There is a story that is being told from Genesis all the way to the maps in the back of the Bible that are helping us to understand who God is and how things have gone wrong in our world and what God is doing to put things back together again, primarily in his relationship with human beings. There's meditation, the way that we, 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 we not only lock scripture into our memory, but we think about it and we chew on it and we gnaw on it like, like a, a dog with a bone in order to come up with understanding and to come up with new, new teachings and, and new ways of new perspectives and new ways of seeing the world. There's confession. 
of, of, of cleaning our hearts and our souls out of the goo that sometimes makes its way into our, our souls. And, and there's worship. Worship is such an important thing. Worship is something that, that we often think of as something that we do only on Sundays. But worship is something that we do every day in the way that we live. And, and it, our culture... Our, our Christian culture, our inner spiritual co- culture as individu- individuals is developed by whatever we worship. If we worship money, then our interior culture is consumerism. If, it, if it's food or anything else, that begins to create the culture through which our, wi- our, our lives revolve. There is eradicating hurry. We spent lots of time talking about how we, we're so harried. And we're always at a pace that, that allows more stuff to come into our life that can squeeze God out of our day-to-day experience and acknowledgement of Him. We have to be just ruthless in eradicating hurry out of our lives. And then silence and solitude, where we begin our days, or there are portions of our days where we are in silence and we're in solitude. And what we're doing is we're dim- diminishing the, the, the prospects of distractions from coming in and, and keeping our minds, derailing our minds from our thoughts of God and, and our, our practice of being in His presence. These are some of the things that we did last year that are preparing us for what comes next right now. In this withdrawal from normal life and in anticipation of the unique challenges our world is going to face in the coming weeks and months, we need to ask this question. What kind of person do I need to be to meet those challenges? The kind of person will not be formed through a continued and incessant focus on the virus. And then the last thing that we'll talk about is this, uh, gain perspective. You know, in the last couple of weeks, have you stepped back for just a moment to think about what we might have learned, what you personally might have learned from the experience of this pandemic. One example that comes to mind nearly immediately being in this auditorium is is this, that the church building has been taken from us. The church building has been taken from us, at least for now, but we did not stop being the church. A few months ago, we considered how the church is more than just a GPS coordinate or an address or a dot on a map. The church is a movement of people. The church right now is scattered throughout the San Antonio metropolitan area because we are scattered throughout the San Antonio metropolitan area where we live, where we work, where we interact, where we're raising our children, where they go to school, where we are, the church is. And our church is going to have this tremendous influence in the coming weeks over a vast area of South Texas. Now, when all is said and done with this pandemic, when COVID-19 has been contained, there are going to be some lingering questions. Questions like, who is really in control? Who is, who is really in control of life in this world? How do we live in a world like this? Uh, another question is, you know, what is really important? There were so many things that were taken away, and I know that so many things are not important, not at the center of my life, but what is the most important? And then maybe a final question might be something like this. What really holds everything together? 
What is it that's going to hold my life together? It's going to hold my family together. What is it that's going to give me a buoyancy and, and a poise in turbulent times? What is it that's really going to cause a cohesion throughout all of the aspects of my life if we face this thing again? And the answer to that, as you know, is God and his kingdom. And we must be the people who lead others to change not only what they think, but also what they love. We are persuading people by our very lives and by the words that we speak to love something different. We are persuading people by our lives, by our presence, by our story to love God. And it's during this time of withdrawal that we have an incredible opportunity to deepen our love for God as we expand our abilities to speak truthfully about Him. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for every opportunity that you give us to bring glory and honor to you through the love that you have given to us to pass on to other people. In these coming days, we ask you to help us to deepen that relationship with you, to, to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength in ways that we have never done before. We want to be spiritually vital and vibrant people in the way that we live our lives in the coming weeks, uh, publicly and visibly before people who have so many questions about the meaning of life and how life is to be lived and what actually holds life together. Help us to be brave. Help us to be courageous. Help us to subdue the fear. Help us to be generous with our means and our money and our finances and our time and with all of our resources, Father, in these coming weeks. Help us to be creative in the ways that we discover uh, open doors and, and avenues and venues to, to minister to people in your name. And we do want to be salt, Father, and we do want to be light in such a way that we don't get the thanks, but that you get the glory. And so deepen us, Father, during this time of withdrawal. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. May God grant you peace this week as you deepen your relationship with him, as you draw near to him, and as you discover that God's nearness is our good. Amen.